continue our study through 1 John. If you take your Bibles, meet me over there in 1 John chapter 2. We didn't get to finish last week, so um, I'm hoping to just get through a small portion um, of 1 John because when we start talking about um, the children warned against apostates who are denying the deity of Jesus Christ, it starts to get really heady, and I don't want to just move through that. So if we get through a little bit earlier tonight, I think that's okay. I think you'll be all right with that too. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know he says that all the time. When is he actually going to do it? <laughs> but trust me, one of these days it'll happen. We dropped off on verse 13. So we're in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13. Now, when I was studying here, actually we, we were in uh, verse, verse 12. When you're studying here, I said in the very beginning of this series. Can you believe we're already five messages in? I, it's kind of shocking to me. But this is not a book that tests your salvation. It's nowhere in there. And as a matter of fact, if it was, we'd be able to see a test very clearly. Instead, we see things very clear, like, I write unto you because you have eternal life. Okay? 1 John 5.13 is a very important verse. These things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, the veracity of a believer's salvation is nowhere in examination here. Everything in this book is about fellowship. And this is the real litmus test for your walk. Okay? It's going to be evident by works in your life. Okay? As you begin to submit to the Lord and choose to walk in the Spirit and deny the lust of the flesh, people are going to be able to see that growth in you. Now, that doesn't mean that it's happening, but it's a byproduct of what's to come. And I, I, I don't bristle at that. I know with salvation, it's become very maligned. Like, well, if you're saved, then I'm going to see it. That's, that's not a guarantee. This is why it's so important in regards to the justification of the believer. That's something that's done before God. Okay, He's the one that honors a believer's justification, which is what we call salvation. Now, if your faith is dead, it's not dead in the eyes of God. It's dead amongst men women in the world. If we're silent on our faith, who's going to know what we believe? If we live in wicked carnality, who's going to know that we live for the Lord? The answer is no one. And you know, we talked about that verse this morning in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that, uh, and, and no marvel that Satan presents himself as an angel of light, and his ministers also transform in that way. So can a person have good works and not be saved? Yeah. Folks, let me be real clear. That is exactly how the enemy works, okay? It's trying to sell you something and say it's a, it's a bill of goods. You, when you buy this, you're going to get this, and you buy into it, and there's nothing. That's why Jude is very specific about clouds without rain. The Bible is a farming book, Okay? It's very important when you're talking about growing crops, when you see those clouds with rain, you need what? You need it to rain. You need the earth to be watered so that your crops will grow. It'd be terrible if you had big old thunderstorm clouds and everything, and it's just no water. What does that mean? Dry ground. What does that mean? You're not going to bring forth harvest. So the warning there from Paul is, this is how these ministers of righteousness are going to act and how they're going to behave. And at the end, you're going to know them by their works, by the messages that they teach about Jesus Christ. 
That's why it's, it's interesting to me when <clears throat> I'm going through, you know, as I'm studying Revelation, you're, you're listening to other people. You're trying to see, okay, what's somebody's thought on this and all that. And then you, of course, compare it to the Scripture and you make a decision. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to prophecy website after prophecy website and seen so many good takes, but then when it comes to the one thing that matters the most, they absolutely miss the gospel. It's, it's always a works-based message. Nine times out of ten, it's a works-based message. And if you want to avoid the tribulation period, then you better get right with the Lord and serve Him now with the time that you have left. Sometimes they just leave it at that. Folks, that's not an invitation to believe on Jesus. That's a muddy message. Now, they may have clarity in their mind, but it's not communicated that way. And a lot of times when people go forward and they come down an aisle and they talk to somebody, most of the time there's some boxes that they check. I mean, I lived in a church like this, or excuse me, I grew up in a church like this. What do you want to do today? It was either repent in my sins, join the church, or submit for baptism. And I, I, I must have come up to the same guy three or four times to repent of my sins to be saved. And I'd be presented to the churches, brother something something just got saved today. And I got saved last week too, and the week before that. And the next week I was going to come down and do the same thing. And I don't want to be hard on those preachers and teachers because honestly they're just doing what they've been told. But I think instead of doing what we've been told, we need to read what we're supposed to do. And then as we find out what God says, we go do what he says is right. I don't particularly like an altar call because it, why make them come down an aisle when you can give them what they need right where they are? Okay? Now, people have a difference of opinion on that. I know clear churches that do altar calls. It doesn't mean the person comes down and they put their faith in Christ. Well, they walked an aisle, so it works. That's not what I'm saying. I believe it's better to let someone decide in their seat exactly where they are. You can make that decision. When we give an invitation, which you're used to, we give it every single service, and I ask for a raise of hands. That raising of hands does not qualify a person for salvation. It simply lets me know that they believe on what Jesus Christ did. And to the best of their knowledge, this is the first time that they're coming to that understanding. When we had the members, uh, or the, the people who were applying for membership come through today, we asked them a very simple question. Can you tell us how you know you're going to heaven? And, and, and how you came to that conclusion? And people had backstories, and they had things that they had gone through, and we're trying to see and understand, do they know where they're going when they die? Okay, the difference between what, you, what I just told you, which I believe is a truthful way to go about and find out where somebody is, is just to accept everybody. Well, everybody's got their own flavor, their own brand of Christianity, and you just leave them alone because you don't want to judge, you know? And then they'll, they'll twist verses in 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about judging. And they say, how dare you judge somebody on, on their experience with God? Well, you can do that because you're holding them to the standard of God's word and you're just the messenger. But as we're going through this book, I, I give you that precursor because you've got to understand why these next three verses are in here are important. There are some people that use these three verses, 12, 13, and 14, to say John is asking them to check if they are children, if they are fathers, if they are young men, they will do these things. I don't believe that. I think that very clearly here, John is writing to three stages of the believer's fellowship with the Lord. And they're in no particular order, okay? He writes from the perspective of children, baby believers, 
Fathers, more experienced believers, and young men, the believers who are going through challenges and trials. And so he repeats himself here, I think, from the point of clarity. Because what he's about to say next about uh, resisting the enemy, and this will be like a three-part thing that we, that we do within this series, all hinges on the fact that you already know you've been delivered. In light of your deliverance, know these things about what's coming next. Because if, if there was no purpose in serving the Lord after you got saved, why did the Lord leave you here? Think about it. Uh, this is a little graphic, but I think the audience is appropriate. I don't, I don't see any children here tonight. I remember I went soul winning one time with uh, Peter Amato, and we went out to Citrus Park Mall, and you know I split up with Tyler, I think, and Tyler and I worked on a couple people, led some people to Christ. And when we got back, we're, we're kind of sharing progress. You know, I had this kind of conversation. Uh, this, this person seemed to indicate that they understood. And Pete was really shaken because he had somebody ask him a very direct <coughs> question about, you know, well, if my, all my sin is really paid, then why, why would I want to stay alive? And here was the guy's question. He said, if all my sin is, is paid and there's nothing I can do to weasel my way out of God's grip, what would be the purpose of living, battling with this sinful nature? Why wouldn't I just go shoot myself? Why wouldn't I just go kill myself right now so that I could just be in this eternal glory with the Lord forever? Pete had never been asked that question before. It's very direct. Obviously, there were, there were some things to understand here. First of all, he understood the completeness of his forgiveness. But he also understood the battle with his flesh. Even though I don't think he would say that, the very question that he's asking points to, I know I'm going to mess up. So why don't I just take myself out now and we don't have to worry about messing up? <coughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <coughs> I'm so sorry about that. And Pete thought about it for a while and he gave this answer. He said, there must be purpose in fellowshipping with the Lord after your salvation. There must be something worth fighting against the flesh and walking in the Spirit with the time that you have left. I believe this book talks about that. And when, when, if you've noticed, the, I've, I've talked about 1 John 3, 1 and 2 um, a couple of times now, and I get emotional each time. That's the worth it. Because of the position that we've been given as we're children of God now, we're sons of God. And it doesn't appear what we're going to be, but one day we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. Boy, that's worth staying strong here to be able to finish well and have that fellowship with the Lord in all of eternity. But I do think fellowship is the next, it's, it's the most important thing we can strive to. And that includes soul winning. Because if you're a soul winner, you're taking part in what the Lord was doing. And I think a lot of people, I've, I've taught this before, you have four pillars of our faith, right? You've got God talks to me. And how is that done? Through study of his word. I talk to God. That's prayer. I talk to like-minded believers. I think that's fellowship in the local church, encouraging one another. And if you don't have a body of believers to meet with, you find a way to start a church where you're at. You don't need a 501c3 to be a church, okay? <laughs> you don't need a building. If you got a living room, you've got a space <coughs> to meet at. And then the last one is, I talk to the lost. So four things there. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship with like-minded believers, and then, of course, 
evangelizing. I think a lot of people do very good with a few of those. But not everybody's getting all four. It's like I, I see people who are like, I'm going to soul win and that's what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm gonna, but they can't be faithful in church attendance. They certainly can't be faithful in their prayer life. And they've studied the word just enough to be dangerous. Or I see the other side. More often than not, I see this. Bible scholars. And I mean Bible scholars. Books they've written, uh, articles they've written, podcasts they've gone on, shows that they've produced, whatever it is, but they have no desire to soul win. None. And if they do have a prayer life, it's not something that they're sharing with others. And they're not even involved with ministry. Why isn't it that we can't get all four of these down at the same time? Because doing all four of these requires submission. It requires yieldedness of the things that you want to do to what the Lord is asking you to do. I'm not knocking any of those areas, but I'm saying, why should we only be strong in one or two? You know, the fruit of the Spirit is just that, the fruit, singular. You've got to work on all nine of those in your life. Well, God didn't give me the fruit of meekness. <laughs> if he didn't give you one, then he didn't give you any, okay? <laughs> it's all one thing. You, these things you're supposed to be working on as you grow. So what he says here is, is written to these three stages. And it's important to recognize this is all about what has already taken place, which is the believer's salvation. Verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because, little children, baby believers, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Then he, then he says, I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. And I believe that's talking about Jesus Christ. That phrase is all throughout this book. Uh, so, and I think you can call that back to John chapter 1. And we've looked at that several times, so we're not going to look at it again. But this is the beginning of the ministry that the Lord started. Now, this is an interesting comparison. Think about a father and a, and a son, okay? The, the son, the child, is the one who needs direction, okay? He knows his father, but he doesn't know what his father has experienced. Therefore, he lacks experience. And the father, if he wants to do parenting correctly, wants to make sure that he keeps his child from negative experiences that would either put scars upon his body physically or spiritually, and he wants to guide him into truth. So for the, for the believer that has just trusted on Jesus Christ, there should be believers within the ministry that are willing to say, come, let me come alongside. Let me help you. I've, I've seen that already. Since this year, we've, you know, we've had... Five or six new baby believers that get saved here in the ministry or get clarity here in the ministry, and I've seen, I've seen you come alongside them, help them, pray with them, talk with them, not set a standard of, oh, one day you'll be where I'm at. <laughs> that, that's not how it goes. You come alongside and help that person grow. You, in effect, disciple them through the truth. That's how it's supposed to be. But what is said here to children is that remember that your sins are forgiven and fathers, you know Jesus who's also forgiven your sins. 
So then he says, I write unto you, in the middle of verse 13, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. What does that mean? The young men are typically the ones who are going to go out into battle. They're going to go and protect the nation in which they represent. They will be on the front lines with the adversaries. There are people in the ministry who naturally are put into that position. What are they supposed to remember? You're an overcomer. Even though you may face small defeats here or very difficult battles, you've overcome at the end of it all. Now, all this is important. He repeats it again there in verse 14. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from, uh, that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. Now, that's different. What did he say to young men before? You've overcome the wicked one. What is he saying to them in verse 14? Young men, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. I believe that word of God is a reference to the word made flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus Christ. And so if we want to grow, if we want to be effective, if you have been saved for over, I mean, I can't put a number on it, but let's just say you've been saved for over a year. The next step of growth is how can I impact a new believer? How can I yield myself in order to help somebody else grow to where I'm at? That's how a ministry gets strong, okay? That's how a ministry becomes impenetrable. That is how a ministry begins to really impact past the individual and into a, uh, an individual's family. Now, he said these things in these verses here because he's about to go into an area of temptation. It's one of several, but it's an area that's threefold, Okay, look what he says in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now this, I don't even have to explain this because we've already talked about it. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit is absent from that person. Or that would mean they're not saved. What it means is the fellowship, the abiding, the individual residing in the Lord if they love the world and they're doing things with the world, that's diametrically opposed to what the Lord wants to do. You can't say there's fellowship there. Look what it says in verse 16. <clears throat> For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we're going to look at three things tonight, okay? First of all, we're going to look at the world. And there's three things in there, three separate things. Then we're going to look at the flesh, and then we're going to look at the devil, okay? If we were to zoom out, right, as much as we can, you have the world, <coughs> and it's not, it's not the order of creation, okay? It doesn't mean like, well, all nature is bad. Well, all nature is bad, so we have to avoid that, because that's the world. That's bad Bible study, okay? Let me, let me uh, describe world here to you just a moment. The world here means the moral and spiritual system designed to draw people away from God. It's a seductive system that appeals to all people, believers as well as unbelievers, and calls for our affection, participation, and loyalty. I am not here to target a specific group, but I cannot 
help but look at the LGBTQ uh, agenda right now and see how it matches this exactly. I hate saying, I called it, but I saw where this is going a while ago. When I was in school, there were not many teenagers who were saying, I'm gay. And it just was not something that you heard a lot of. And if you did, it was something that was just like, they, they weren't even acting on it. It was kind of just like, I'm going through this thing. I, I don't know how to describe it. A phase. Okay? Both the people that I knew in high school who said they were gay, guess what? They're married. They got three kids. Each. But now, it's gone from, I want you to, you know, recognize it, to now I want you to honor it. It's not so much that you give us our space, but let us into your space. And now we're getting to the point where you need to tolerate it and accept it. Now, I'm not just pointing out, like I said, one community. This is everywhere. Top-tier movie films right now, averaging PG-13 and up. Okay, The things that are going on in PG and G movies now would be considered PG-13. Maybe even R, 15 years ago. The amount of violence that is shown even in kids' cartoons, it's going to, the line is being pushed further and further and further away. Well, Jesse, it's just a cartoon. Okay, okay, it's just a cartoon. But what's the end goal? What's the desire, or uh, what's the goal that is trying to be achieved? You need to be just like the person you're seeing on the, on the movie screen. But if we look at that definition again and calls for our affection, participation, and loyalty, that's what the world offers. Oh, it's already got the affection down. We're naturally attracted to it. You ever had that science experiment where you take uh, two magnets and you put them on the same end, and, and the smaller the magnets are, the easier it is to keep those ends together. But if you get two larger magnets, and you, <laughs> they... It will not. Like, you can try and try and your hands just like slip, you know, and it goes this way or whatever. Boy, you flip it around with a big magnet, you can probably get it about this far and it, it goes right to it. And that is how, here's how that works. Here's me and my sin nature. Here's the world. One and the same. So here's my new nature, born of God. Here's the world. They don't go together. If I flip it around and, and I'm living in my flesh, pff, we're two peas in a pod, baby. Everything's fine. There's no issue there. But there's three areas that he gives us here, and we're talking about the world, which is in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And if you're taking notes, please write these down. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What are these three things? Number one, the lust of the flesh is the body, Okay? The senses, the things that you can touch and feel, and a lot of people automatically go to, oh, sexual. It's more than that. Appetite, uh, substance abuse. This body can control what you're able to do based on how you treat it, period. If you abuse the body, you ain't going to be worth anything. What good is serving the Lord if you have a body that doesn't work properly because of years and years and years of abuse? Don't you think it's interesting when you see these commercials for what's your pro, let's just call it whatever the name of it is. I, I don't know what this medicine is. It's like, oh, it'll help you lower your A1C. 
And then, I'm, I kid you not, the, the rest of the ad, which is twice as long as the one statement about lowering your A1C is, may cause heartburn, diarrhea, indigestion, heart attack, and sometimes death. I can't help the dark humor in that because everybody in the ad is like, they're high-fiving their buddies, they can go fishing again, they're golfing again, everything's great, but you can have a heart attack <laughs> on this medicine. And you're, you're acknowledging that. A lot of that stuff comes from clinical trials. But when it says the lust of the flesh here, that's hedonism, okay? And that's not just related to a sexual thing, although you can abuse your body sexually, it's abuse of the body in any way, shape, or form. Where you become a slave to what your flesh desires. That is one area. And it's idolizing pleasure. It's idolizing pleasure. Number two, the lust of the eyes. This, I believe, is materialism. It is idolizing possessions. Okay? The things that we see, not just with our mind's eye, but with our with our, with our being, I, I want to attain a million dollars in net worth. Or I want to become uh, whatever it may be in your mind. I, I, I want to own this vehicle. I want to do this type of work. I, and you, you strive towards that, the accumulation of more and more and more. You want those things because you believe it gives you status. It gives you purpose, okay? You open up Instagram. You open up YouTube. There are people all over the place that want to tell you how to do that. I think it's so funny that the Bible says, avoid the, 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 the get-rich-quick stuff. And what's the first thing you see on YouTube? Oh, what's more valuable, a house or a laptop? Oh, well, I, you could get $80 net revenue this month and uh, $80 million by, by having a laptop with this passive income. And what they want to sell you is, turn it on, leave it alone, and watch the money come in. It's like... That stuff, doesn't, that stuff doesn't exist. But you know how many people buy it? Thousands. Because he's got a YouTube channel, and he's buying ad space that costs thousands of dollars. It's, it, it is idolizing the things of the world, the accumulation of the world. So we've lust of the flesh, idolizing pleasure, lust of the eyes, idolizing possession. And then here's the last one, the lust of the spirit, which is described as the pride of life. This is idolizing power. Power. It's egoism. It's me, 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 and nobody else until me first. There's that old country song. I don't even remember how it goes. Uh, I want to talk about me, something. You guys will probably fill it in. But boy, that, that song is true of today. You go, go get yours. That's what's important first. This is making you the idol in your life. And all three of these together puts you at the top. And God, if I've got time, maybe when I'm all done with me, then I'll give you the sunset years of my life. Sure, it's a choice you can make, but you're going to sacrifice effectiveness. You're going to sacrifice rewards. For what? Let me ask you a question. How many of your mansions are you going to bring to you in glory? How many of your physical possessions here are you going to have? I'm like, oh, I really want to make sure when I get up there that I have my golf clubs, right? So I'm going to buy the best golf clubs. I'm going to keep them in the best condition. And when I die, I know I'm going to whoop, go right, right up there with the golf clubs. <laughs> you know what's going to happen to those? They're going to go to somebody else. <laughs> How about all the money in my bank account? 
well, the government's going to come first with the death tax. They're going to get what they want. <laughs> and then guess what? The rest of your money, it's going to go to whoever it's left to. And there's no guarantee they're going to honor what you wanted it to do. Read the book of Ecclesiastes to get a nice shot in the arm about what we work for. We build the nicest things. We, we try to provide for our families. And then guess what? We die. Pastor, you're not making me feel better. Welcome to the rewards of the world. But you know how many people sacrifice the things of God for the things of the world? And they do it over and over and over and over. It's habit. Well, I'll go if I can. I probably can't. It doesn't sound like you're going to go <laughs> if you could. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's an option. So idolizing pleasure and then possessions and then power. Okay? Now, that's the first grouping. Let's look at the next two groupings. So we, we, just, we just grouped the world. What is the, what's the cure? Right, we've got all these things. Uh, what's the cure against idolizing possessions and idolizing pleasure and idolizing ego? I'll show you. You can let 1 John go and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're doing a lot of teaching tonight, so we're going to get into some verses here, okay? I like this word a lot. You ready? When I say it, repeat it after me. Ready? Flee! Flee. I'm going to say it one more time. Flee! Flee. All right, let's un-King James that, and we'll go to modern. Ready? Run! Run. Yeah, right? It's like, oh, no! I have an opportunity to cheat in my marriage. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if, if that's how we're going to face it, that's the problem. You run far from it. And if you're running away from it, the likelihood you're going to be around it is lower. Look, I, can't, I can pick them up and put them down. Not very quickly. We were watching football today, and someone was like, did you see Tom Brady run his 40 when he was in the NFL, or whatever, his starting thing? And someone said, yeah, Jesse could have beat him. And I thought... What does that mean? <laughs> I think Jam was like, it means you're slow. <laughs> I could appreciate that. But it, you run in the opposite direction. You don't wait and say, ah, I'm so strong. I, I, I've, I've prepared for this. Get out of there. Because all that temptation that you face, is, it, it is directly linked to your sin nature. You're automatically at a disadvantage. Get out. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after. So it's not run aimlessly like a chicken with your head cut off. Run to these things. Ooh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. I love that definition of meekness. Strength held in reserve. When I think of meek, I think of, you know, that horse that has all the power to just totally do, have its way against its rider, but it submits that strength. Boy. What about 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Oh, there's that word again, right? Flee, run, get away. Also, youthful lusts, but 
follow. So run to these things. Righteousness, faith, charity. You know what that word is? It's love. Boy, if you can learn to love selflessly, you're going to be all right. I guarantee it. You're going to be all right. Peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. You know who, who asks foolish and unlearned questions? Every single teenager. They want to know the one thing that'll be like, I've got your God in a bottle. Can God make a rock? So you know where that's going, right? <laughs> no, God doesn't do dumb things, <laughs> right? But you know what happens? People grow up living that way. I've had people come into this church before with the sole intent to argue. They don't really care what I believe. They just want me to know that I am a stupid man and they are a smart man and I'm stuck in a delusional reality and they're based in reality. What have we accomplished? Nothing. Foolish, unlearned questions. I have to do that with Bible line. There, sadly, I've gotten some questions where I, I respond back to the person and I say, what is your intent? If I give you an answer to this question, what is your intent? You know what I never get back? A response. It's sad, but there's people out there. We call them on the internet, they're trolls. Okay? It's, it's, it's a thing. When I was growing up, that's what it was called. People are trolling you. They're making fun of you. They're trying to point you. You, you, you know what you do in those situations? You, you avoid it. Well, that's not trying to win the soul. May I say very politely that you're going to know whether a person wants to hear what you want to say? And there are people who have made a living out of doing that kind of stuff. Let them go do what they're going to do. The Lord wants them to be saved. You give them the good news, and if they don't receive it, go. There are more, there, there's more to do. That's the solution against the problem of the world. Now, here's the last two categories, and we are doing beautifully on time. So we've got the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and then we have the flesh. You ready? Romans chapter 7. Yeah, this is fun. This is in Beauty and the Beast when the beast looks in the mirror and goes, ugh, right? This is when we get up in the morning and we are disheveled. We are beside ourselves. <laughs> For I know, verse 18, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, and I love how the scripture is just so clear here, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Can you put yourself in a category right now that there is a part of you in which there is no good thing? Oh, Jesse, that's negative self-talk. No, it's called the truth. I know there is, a, there is a temptation in me that has zero intent to do good. None. It's the way it is. Recognizing that helps me realize how dangerous temptation can be. Well, I'm not that bad. Oh, be careful. Be careful. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. 
in my flesh, the opportunity to do right, to please the Lord, in my flesh, there's a desire for me to do it, but there's no way for me to do it because I have nothing to give the glory of God to in my flesh. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Boy, is this not describing us this afternoon? Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank who, church? God. Through who? Boy, this is great. Jesus, our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh I, uh, but with the, flesh, the law of sin. These two natures that are in us is what makes 1 John 3, 1 and 2 so beautiful. There will be a day where this passage does not apply to you anymore. That'll make you do the happy dance. That'll make you be excited about something. Because we fight with that every day. It's with us every day. But we can have joy in knowing not only has God given us the ability to walk in the, in, in the Spirit, but He's also given us the option to have victory over the flesh. We can do that now through Jesus Christ. And the sad part is you have a lot of wicked people with a sinful nature trying to do righteous things. It doesn't work. It won't work. So what is the, the, the solution here to this problem of the flesh? Deny, deny, deny. Look in chapter 6 of Romans. 12 through 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves, if you're going to obey to something, don't obey to the sin that is in you. Obey to this. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Can you imagine how concerning it would be if a person woke up every day and crawled into a coffin and tried to bury themselves six feet under. How disturbing that would be that they're living as if they're dead. Boy, that is the exact picture when you choose to live in sin. When you choose to have a secret stash of whatever it is. Oh, I only get angry at this time. I, I only have bitterness at this time. Like, oh, somebody pushes me to that point. Then it's okay. No, it's not. It's Sorry, you're lying to yourself. Yield your members to righteousness. That is how we have a solution to the flesh. And look in chapter 8 and verse 13. <coughs> For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, but excuse me, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You know, James 5 tells us that there is a sin unto death. You can get to the point where the Lord says, all right, come on home. You want to be that way? 
You want to be the kid that gets called uh, to go home early, never to return again? <laughs> Come on. You've got to learn how to discipline yourself. I look at this comparison, and when we saw in 1 John about the lust of the flesh, idolizing pleasure, this is how we could avoid those things. The sacrifice that we'll have to make to have this body be pleasured, whatever it is, is it worth what we're risking? And you've got to be able to slow down in the moment and make those decisions. You know the best way to do it? Make it right now. Make it right now. Whatever I'm struggling with, I'm not going to allow it to have victory the next time I'm presented to do it. Why do we do it right now? Because it's not right in front of you. That's what a wise man does. Think about wedding vows. You make those vows. You shouldn't do them lightly. Oh, I'll be honest with you. When we did our vows, I, we got really good counseling from Dr. Arnold. He said, make them simple so that you'll never forget them. And that stuck with me. Because if I did this big flowery thing, I'm not saying, if, if any of you have done that, that's fine, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I did this big flowery thing to make it look how cool I was and how sweet I was and how genuine I was. Yankee told me that this was the time that you make a promise before God to your wife that you're going to stick by her regardless of what comes in the future. And as a young man, I was 19 years old. That scared me. I'll be honest with you. Because I realized I was excited to propose and see the reaction and have all the, oh, the attention. They're getting married. That's great. But at the end of the day, it came down to, Jesse, are you going to honor this woman with the rest of your life? That's what they call at 7-Eleven, a big gulp. Okay? Not because I was afraid that I wasn't, but because I recognized how precious it was that I was supposed to be faithful to her. And I shouldn't take that lightly. So instead of be frilly and, and cute, say exactly what you promised to do. And it's been a joy to have 11 years of marriage with my wife. And let me tell you, we've been through some, some thick stuff lately. Her, mostly. But I told her 11 years ago I was going to stick by her. And I intend to do that. It's the same thing when we choose to serve the Lord. We're going to back out. These weeds are too thick. Yeah, but you see what that is? I mean, that's really good. I mean, I'm hardwired for that. Okay, we'll make a choice not to do it. Like it said before, run and run after those things. And then the last area, this is very short. The world, the flesh, and the author of it all, the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Will you meet me there? 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. This is on page uh, 1315 in a church Bible. <laughs> I like the first instruction there. Be sober. You ever seen a drunk person? They are the exact opposite of sober. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Guys, do you, you see how he's described there? He's not described as some menacing, running, pouncing lion. He's just walking in his domain. His domain is where you live, okay? He's walking around, waiting for the time when you're the little one that strayed behind too long. Have you ever seen those nature shows? 
Nine times out of ten, when I watch those shows and the lion goes in for the attack, there's actually not a big chase involved. They use the big chase to show you, oh, wow, look at this one that almost got away. Most of the time, the lion is within paw's reach of that thing. He's just chilling there. I'm no threat. Woo! Comes and gets you. Guess it was a threat, huh? <laughs> That's why it's, you're instructed to be sober and to be vigilant. But then, verse 9 is the solution. Just to recap, here's all of our solutions. Run! <laughs> Deny! I like this one. Resist. Look what it says in verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in all the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what a lot of people do. Oh, look at me. I have beaten the devil. I'm the greatest believer ever. Look at all my strength. Read a little bit more, you humble one. Read a little bit more to what it says. To him be glory. We resist. We're able to overcome these things through the Lord's strength, not yours, not mine. So when John says to love not the world, that's exactly what we should strive to do. To not love the world, but to love the things of the Father. Let's just close up there in uh, uh, 1 John chapter 2, our, our uh, main text tonight. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. I don't know if you remember uh, that movie, Aladdin. It was one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. I don't know why. It just, it just was. But I remember the instructions when they went in the cave of wonders, right? Don't touch anything. If you touch anything, there's going to be consequences. And the little, the little monkey, you remember him, Abu? He's hopping around and he sees this giant red ruby. And Aladdin's like, I just got to go get the lamp. And Abu sees that big red ruby, and he's like, and the animators made his eyes all big, and he saw, the, he saw that gem. And what did he do when he touched it? It turned into sand. And the entire structure of this cave of wonders began to melt. That left a mark on me as a kid. I felt like, you know what I thought automatically? He disobeyed. <laughs> That guy done messed up. Come on, Abu, get it together. You know? Boy, that, is, that, is that not a description of, a believer, of the believer that chases after the things of the world? Looks good, smells good, feels good. You take into it, and it's nothing but an illusion. It vanishes in your hand. We can take hold of the things of God that will last forever. But we make a choice to serve the world. The world passeth away, verse 17, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We'll talk about that phrase next week as we move in to the rest of this passage. You can go ahead and close your Bibles. It's good to have the Iwana kiddos in here as they'll dismiss. Jan, do you have? Uh, no, yeah, tonight's just a second night. So, 
Uh, look up here. Let me explain to you the best news in all the world. If this hand were to represent you, me, everybody in the entire world. I let my wallet represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We miss the mark. That's what the word sin means. God, he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, you have to be perfect, just like God, but we all fall short. <coughs> Excuse me. The wages of sin is not good works, turning from something, starting a brand new endeavor. It is death. You want to pay for the sin? You have to die for it. Somebody does have to die. This hand represents Jesus Christ, just for the sake of this illustration. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. All of you know that verse. It's so important to recognize that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was pay for this sin. And as he paid it, it was completely done. And when you put your faith in him, he gives you as a free gift everlasting life. This is the greatest transaction in all the world. You can experience that salvation today. Oh, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to make that commitment. What commitment? There's no commitment. The only one who was committed to it was Jesus Christ, and he finished his work. You just have to accept what he's freely done for you. There is no better deal than that. There is nothing like that in the entire world. And you can experience what we call, what the Bible calls, salvation today. How? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If that made sense to you tonight, that you're a sinner, and your sins are uh, paid by death and hell, and you don't want to go there, the best you know how you understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross was to pay for all your sin. Right now where you're sitting, will you put your faith in him? Will you trust in Jesus that what he did on the cross and his resurrection was sufficient to pay for all your sin? The moment you do, the Bible says that you're passed from death and you're brought into life and you'll never be brought into condemnation again. Anyone at all before we close, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? I just trusted on Jesus Christ. Anyone at all before we close? Raising your hand doesn't save you. If you've already put your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to do it again. Heads or bows and eyes are closed. For, for the ones who were here during the message, how often are we idolizing pleasure in our lives over the Lord? How about the idolizing of the accumulation of wealth or possessions? How about idolizing yourself? Check your, check your priorities and then learn how to run, deny, and resist those things in the Lord's power. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Bring us back here safely for the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We pray for classes that are going to be resuming. We're so thankful for Awana and our, our new guests with us tonight. We pray, Lord, that this church would continue to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.